Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. I'm going to start off and read the first part of chapter 6, and Shane's going to, going to finish it off for us. Lawsuits against believers. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and that the world is to be judged by you? Are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded that you yourselves wrong and defraud even those your own brothers? For do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? If he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. <clears throat> Did everybody in here get one of these handouts last week about judging? You know, didn't. Um, you know, there there is <coughs> the potential for um, abuse on both sides of this judging issue. You know, and typically what you hear people say is to quote that verse, judge not lest you be judged. 
as a universal teaching that we are never to judge. And that just is not true. Right here, we are instructed that we are to judge, and there are all sorts of different things that we are supposed to judge and things we're not supposed to judge. But, but the overriding issue in that is that we would never set up ourselves up as the standard. That, that we would in some way think, well, I wouldn't have done that, or I wouldn't do that. Uh, well, that may be true, but if that's true, it's because of God, of grace. Common grace, and then specific grace, being saved. That God pre prevents even unsaved people from doing bad things. And it tells us here, you, you know, we get into, we're not supposed to judge people outside the church, but we are to hold one another accountable to godly standards. So there are a lot of issues where we are to judge, but just not with harsh hearts or holding ourselves up as a standard for righteousness. So anyway, just kind of getting started here. Okay, starting off with this thing about lawsuits against brothers or believers. Question number one, what commands and guidelines does Paul give for settling disputes between Christians? And does this apply today? You know, that's the first eight verses exposit that. That, that it's not a good idea for us to get into intra-family disputes and debates and threats and contentious kind of issues even. Uh, that the church is better equipped to settle these than civil court. Now, if you've never read this before, that's pretty radical. Because the way of the world is certainly to demand our rights, uh, to demand what's ours, and if it's threatened, to go to court. And yet these verses say, no, settle this inside the body. Settle it inside. That the church is better equipped to decide right and wrong in these issues in civil court. Has anybody here ever dealt with this? I was in a church where a pastor was um, let go or asked to leave for, for no like um, immoral reasons or whatever. It was kind of change in, in leadership and uh, he was not given a severance pay when he was Like, that's very clear from the Bible what you're doing is, is wrong. Like, let's, let's, let's talk about 
work this out for more brothers instead of having a wall that was just be for us. Yeah. Do you think this is very common practice in the church? This is just an opinion. Do you think many churches actually practice this? I'm not getting any of these. I'm getting a lot of these. Okay. Probably about as much as they uh, used church discipline. <clears throat> Not very much. Also, it has less to do with like taking it to the courts to handle a dispute, rather than just it's one person leaves the church, you know, and goes somewhere else, rather than trying to work things out with the help of the of the church. Right. What if what if it's a, a criminal offense? Um, maybe you remember that a couple of paintings were taken off the wall downstairs. And so if, if the person had been um, caught would, and they refused to say return the paintings or you knew for sure but they denied it, would then you press criminal charges in a court or let it go? My wife asks me questions like this pretty much every day. <laughs> Maybe you put her up to ask. No, it's a good question because it actually happened, didn't it? Yeah. Someone stole paintings out of the lobby downstairs. What do you think about that? Hmm. The problem is, it's a wisdom decision because I mean, Paul even says, "Why not rather be defrauded?" And so he's, he's placing our legal rights below the glory of Christ, really, and the church and its name being drugged through the mud <clears throat> by being dragged out into you know public proceedings. And so there, there comes a, a question of you can get what's yours, but at what cost? Um, and that's the hard part is there is no clear black and white here. This is wisdom discernment. There comes a point where it's like, yes, you know, we must act, right? You know, some terrible, moral, horrible thing has happened. You know, we're not just going to sweep that under the rug and hide it, you know, like Catholic Church and one voice and things like that, right? It's like, no, there's, there's a clear line, but um, it's like, okay, somebody didn't pay me to mow their lawn or something. I'm just going to let love cover a multitude of sins, maybe, or something. Yeah, you know, so it's tough because, you know, there's a wisdom discernment here that I'm just Yeah, there are a lot of uh, issues at play here. You know, the relationship between two believers are, in the case that Marianne brought up, kind of the whole church, uh, and to pursue it. You use the word publicly. You know, when these things go to civil court, 
the world finds out about it. <laughs> and then we get that charge brought against us that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, which, in fact, pretty much everyone on the face of the earth is a hypocrite at some level. Uh, you know, we pretend to be things we're not. We pretend to be smarter than we are or better golfers than we are or better something than we really are. Uh, but certainly within the church, that would not be the rule that we are just driven by hypocritical things, but it could be a charge that would be brought against the church in doing that. So it's just better to suffer suffer loss. Yeah, we, we're, we personally are involved in an issue right now with a neighbor where we have struggled over how in the world do we handle this. This person claims to be a believer. I don't think she is, but she has been kind of making some demands on us regarding a piece, an adjacent piece of property you have with hers, and where it's, it could be very contentious. And we've decided, hey, we'd be better off just to lose the property. Just give it to her. I don't think it's going to come to that. Uh, it could. It could. Just, these are, practically speaking, get to be very, very difficult. It takes a lot of humility and grace to do what this says, knowing that you may come out of it losing and be willing to lose. If you're willing when you go in, it's not so painful if it happens. Okay. And certainly, does this apply today? Of course it does. You know, the answer to that's obviously yes, it does. You know, the, the sphere of influence that the church has over the society and over civil government in the areas of morality, um, you know, and we are to be involved at that level with civil government. The church needs to have a voice. But that's as individuals, not that Faith Bible is going to take up the banner for this social justice issue or that or the other, you know, you lose the gospel in that. But as individuals, we do have a voice in our, in our civil government so that when things do end up inevitably going to civil court, that, that the church has had a voice in that, uh, that we need to do that acting as citizens. Our, you know, that the old flip-flop in this, if, if the civil government uh, requires something of us that God forbids, we can't do that. Or if the civil government forbids something that God requires, we cannot agree to that. You know, then some level of civil disobedience is right. Like when in the, in the book of Acts, when the apostles were forbidden from preaching, they said, we can't do that. This is what we were called to do. You know, John MacArthur finally had the courage to do that in California during coronavirus when they shut his church down. He agreed to it initially, you know, wanting to be under the, uh, uh, being obedient to civil authorities. But when they kept imposing it, finally said, no, we're not going to do this anymore. You know, we are called to preach the gospel, and that's what we're going to do here. Uh, if the civil government required a surgeon, to perf a Christian surgeon, to perform an abortion. 
they're requiring him to do something that I think the church would pretty uniformly say, no, that's wrong. Say, no, I can't, I cannot do that. I will not do that. So there are times when, you know, we come head on with civil government where it takes real wisdom to kind of navigate our way through that. Okay. Any other comments or questions about that? Anybody but Marianne. <laughs> we'll save that for the for the trip home, okay? <laughs> we had a case in our church in Tennessee where the treasurer, um, a really sweet lady, was found to be embezzling, and she embezzled a huge amount of money for a very small church, and they chose to forgive her and just have her slowly pay it back, but I don't know how she would ever. But that, it, it even kind of split our church. We had several members leave because of that. They said they weren't going to sit there with what they felt was a criminal in church. So. Yeah. It can have a... Of course, they learned a bit, huge lesson. You don't let one person take care of all the money unsupervised. Yeah. That was a hard lesson. Yeah. Shocked everybody. Was the Queen of Hearts answered everything off with her heads. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, the church did a good thing there, didn't it? I think so. I think so yeah, too. The elders made a good decision. Particularly if she was repentant. Mm -hmm. Whether she could ever pay it back or not is another thing, but to be truly repentant of what she did. She's making a good faith effort to fix yeah, it. She seemed to be, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, In verses nine, 9 and 10, Paul mentions the kinds of people who will not inherit heaven. Why does he warn them and us against being deceived about this? Sometimes people are deceived that they don't fall into any of these categories. I think that um, when you go to church and you consider yourself good, um, you deceive yourself. And um, it's uh, inheritance by association rather than truly being under the grace of, of God and being a believer. Um, so I think that's one form of deception is just church attendance. Um, even though we all will fall into something in this line of um, sin. Um, and that's why verses 11 and, well, verse 11, and such were some of you. Um, so, like, I think of the swindler, like you're talking about at your former church. Um, if if the people who left, you know, if, if that lady was repentant, um, yeah, she was swindling the church, but... If, like you said, if she was repentant, um, then she's going to inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and it's a shame that it splits some of that church, but um, it's, uh, I think it's, it's easy to deceive ourselves that we're better than we actually are, because we're not good. Um, 
So that's I think that's the deception that I I see in this. Mm -hmm. Contextually, in the chapters preceding this, they were clearly struggling with showing acceptance to folks who were living such lives, duplicitous lives, and so I think probably part of what he's putting his finger on, you know, even earlier in chapter five, you know, saying uh, I wrote to you to not associate, you know, with such people, and he's not talking about people of the world, but people who rather who are bearing the name of Christ, but then practicing mm. these lifestyles. Um, <coughs> don't be deceived that just because, like Bill was saying, they're saying they're a believer, but by their fruits, you can discern, you can judge, you know, that based on what you're seeing, they don't know Christ, and you need not be deceived by that. You need to call a spade a spade and lovingly, um, you know, address that and pursue them you know, with the gospel. Don't call them what they're not, either. You know, that's super unloving. I think it serves as a very uh, stark warning as we emphasize God's grace and his justification for our sins, that we don't let go of sanctification and God's call for us to be righteous. Um, and so as we hear God's love preached and his mercy, that we then have a license to, to sin. Um, and so then when he gives this list, which you know lists off 10 or so things, and we hear him say sexually immoral, idolater, adulterer, and you start thinking about people around you're like, yeah, then, then he gets to one that you see part of your sin in, like, <coughs> and be like, I think he wants us to hear an element of our own sin in, in several of these things he lists out, and to be a warning, don't let this, if, you're, if your life is described as this, you do not have inheritance in, in heaven, so you need to repent, you need to be sanctified, don't be deceived, um, turn, turn around. Yeah, the, <clears throat> the first verse in this little block here, verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes on to describe what some of that are unrighteous. I mean, it's certainly not a comprehensive list, but it's a pretty, pretty thorough list of the kinds of people that will not be in heaven. And this was obviously a great big, we covered it in chapter 1 when we first started this book. These people were actually proud of their licentiousness. I wish it had stopped then, but it hasn't. Uh, some of you here are old enough to remember uh, 25 or 30 years ago, John McArthur wrote a book about it. It was a whole issue that was a hotbed issue in the church at large over lordship salvation, where People would claim Jesus as their Savior, but continue in their sinfulness just like these Corinthians did. Say, well, I'm, and the catchphrase was, well, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm one of those carnal Christians. And it, it just doesn't pass muster, does it? Because there's, there's, but there are so many of these sins that we once lived in, that I once lived in, before I was saved. And even after we're saved, we know we are tempted 
by a lot of these things. Maybe all of them. Kathy? I think about the thief on the cross and how his was switched just immediately. So he went from unrighteousness to repentance to being saved. I mean, he didn't do anything different. He was you know, on a cross, couldn't you know, work his own salvation, whatever. But it just is that quick. The unrighteousness to the righteousness can be like that. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see what that man's would have looked like, what his life would have looked like had he lived past that day. Because he would have been fervent for Christ for a while, as all of us are. When you, you know, particularly when you've been saved as an adult like me. I mean, there's a, there's a, anybody in here a science major? Okay. Remember the term hybrid vigor? <laughs> you skip botany? <laughs> when you hybridize plants, there, there's something that happens to the hybrid. It grows faster than either one of the parent organisms grows. And it happens for a while. called hybrid vigor. Christians are that way. You got this old person and this new person get hybridized, and, and typically you see this just incredible growth and hunger for the Lord. But it's easy for that to, to fade away the further you get. If you don't stay in fellowship, it does, as a matter of fact. And it's easy to fall back into these kind of things. But we know as Christians, we're, we are tempted frequently to fall into sinful habits. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. There's, there's repentance and forgiveness in that. Um, And then scripture gives us the example of Lot. He was a righteous man and everything that he loved burned, you know. So it's like there's that too. Like his, his life was spared. He was saved. You don't want to live like Lot. <laughs> what a sad life. So don't be deceived. Yeah. You know, we're all capable, and in fact, we do continue to sin. However, we do not lead lives going forward that are characterized by that. And, and when we do fall into it, we feel pretty guilty about it. And that guilt sometimes is a good thing. And then there's it's good to confess it to somebody. And, and, and that person or persons can kind of help you along with that. To, you know, we use that term, hold you accountable. It's more of a loving, kind of a nurturing kind of a thing. We had, we had a guy in a small group I'm in on Monday mornings, and the guy's marriage was about to collapse. And it was because the guy was just so reckless in how he used money. He was a bad steward of what God had given him. And it, his wife was fed up with it. She was fed up of being on the edge of insolvency, maybe losing her home. And he brought it to our group. And we kind of insisted that he go through that Dave Ramsey thing. And it, it saved his marriage. But it was about a year after that, he came in one day and he said, boy, he said the other day, he said, I was in a pawn shop. And I thought, oh, no. And he, the guy's a musician. And he said, 
I saw this guitar in there I really want. I said, how many guitars do you have? I think he had three. But he wanted that one. I said, Mark, stop. You're drifting back. Now, this is a minor thing, really, in the big grand scheme of sinfulness. But, and he didn't buy the guitar. But it, it's been a lifelong struggle for him to just to buy whatever he wanted. And he was reckless with the use of money. Well, not a good steward of his money. Um, this list of people here, uh, these kinds of things, I, I mean, God, God is so graphic and sometimes it's almost embarrassing for me to read these publicly. But when he, he talks about, you know, fornicators, I mean, those are, it's sexual immorality in a broad sense. Uh, idolaters, you know, worship of false gods or some religious system that, that's not uh, infidelity with the Bible. Uh, adulterers, obviously there's another uh, sexual thing of uh, uh, married people engaging in sexual acts outside marriage. Homosexuals or sodomites, you know, here at the town got a name, branded it forever uh, for that, that sin. Um, You know, the violation of the proper male-female roles and sexual things. Transvestism, you know, the, the inventors of evil, Romans says. I mean, the kinds of things that people do in the sexual world are just bizarre. Uh, I mean, bestiality. Uh, you know, I don't like bringing it up, but I mean, the Bible talks about this stuff. That's where it is. Um, you know, not even knowing today, I mean, it's just like the devil has his way with society that at the most basic level of us not even knowing if you're a male or a female. And that's got tremendous traction in the culture. You know, we got, did anybody get that, uh, what's it, in Primus, that Hillsborough College mailer? I mean, that thing is really good have these brilliant speakers that come to Hillsdale College and we get this newsletter kind of thing from them. The one just we got just a couple days ago was about this very issue and about the traction it's caught on to in our culture. Looking back in Deuteronomy, I'm going to have to read the footnote in this or I'll offend everybody in here maybe. Uh, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor a man... Put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So what about cross-dressing? Drag queen story hour. I mean, these things are an abomination to God. Now, it's right for women to wear slacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a man to wear a kilt. Okay, let's read loose what, what R.C. Sproul says about that and get me off the hook here, okay? No kilt. <laughs> Women were not to adopt the accoutrements of the male. Uh, he even says, for example, carrying weapons. Men were not to dress as women. The symbols of gender difference were to be respected. And while such symbols vary over time and from culture to culture, the principle of gender distinction remains. 
violations of the creation order, such as homosexuality and bestiality, are an abomination. It has also been suggested that the interchange of clothing was a part of pagan religious practice. So, yeah, we're not going to, you know, the culture's change in that. You know, and, and later on in chapter 11, I think, we're going to get into head coverings. You know, is a, is a, you know that was a certainly a cultural thing then. Does that still apply? And we've got some great personal examples here that I'm aware of that we will uh, let some of the ladies kind of uh, educate us on that issue. So there, are, a lot of these things are cultural. We got to chill out a little bit about some of it, okay? But these gross immoralities cannot be tolerated. Any other comments on that? All right, let's move on to question three. What are the implications of verse 11 regarding how we should treat such people? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. When we first opened our business, I had a, an old golf pro that was a friend of mine. And uh, I gave a lot of golf lessons. Uh, I mean, a lot, right? My, I practically didn't see my wife. I was seeing so many golf students. And this old pro asked me, and he said, do you report all those? I wasn't a Christian. I said, well, yes. He said, well, you're just a damn fool. <laughs> And I really like this old guy, but it never entered my mind. No, that's not true. I wouldn't do it because I was afraid of getting caught. And the consequence of getting caught was greater than the reward for cheating the government out of their tax money. But you know what? I wanted to. That was where I was going with that. I wanted to keep it. So... Do I pass the test of where Jesus says all these sins in the New Testament? You've heard it said, I heard it said to even think about that. You committed it. And that really convicted me when I finally started reading the Bible and read what God had to say about that because I did want to keep the money. But I feared the punishment. I got caught. But the issue with those outside the church, they're doing this. You know, we did some of those things ourselves. So ex these specific things, some of us did those things and other things. You know, one thing for a fact that although we may not engage in these specific sins, 
Every Christian is an ex-sinner. <laughs> and to some extent, still a sinner, but not like we were before. We've been redeemed, we've been renewed, we're being sanctified. Uh, we're growing more holy than we were two years ago. If we're not, we're not working at it. And even that is primarily an act of the Holy Spirit. But there is some synergy in that. We are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, putting aside these sinful behaviors and putting on these Christ-like behaviors. So we want to be careful we don't have harsh attitudes toward those outside the church. That's We talked about this last week some, I think. You know, That's just the way they behave. It's not good. And we want to be salt and light around them There'll be, they would see something attractive in us. You know, why is it uh, that Caleb doesn't cuss like the rest of the guys in the office? Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I guarantee you, some of you have had people ask you questions. You know, you, you, don't, you don't behave like that. What is, what is, there's something about you that's attractive to me that's different. What is that? What's Jesus Christ? I guarantee you, you all have had that happen in your lives. You know, I've had it happen. And others have. When you live for Christ in the world, you become salt and light there. Question four. The Corinthians were taking improper liberties with their freedom. How are we likewise tempted? How can we handle these sinful temptations? Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And he's just using an example. Here. You know, food's meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. And God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up us up by his power. You know, it's interesting that what we're studying here, the, the two things that get most attention here are sexual sin and eating. Um, Paul says it's not profitable it's not a good thing to do those it's not advantageous for us to do those things you know I put these slacks on this morning and they used, they used to be kind of loose on me and they weren't this morning so I've been snacking too much it's time to back off What's that? I said, that's tough timing, brother. You're headed right into Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, right. Bad time of the year to think about that, isn't it? Yeah, my wife's a very good cook, too. Um, you know, I think of, um, you know, verse 12 is a wisdom issue. We, uh, we met Joey for a football game up at Purdue. And he said, you know what I'd really like to do at the football game? He said, I'd like to go to Harry's, which is a bar. He said, and sit there and watch people, he said, maybe have a beer. 
and there's really no sin in that. But I said to him, I said, Yeah, Hugo. Yeah, Hugo. Yeah, and I said, I may run into people that I lead in Bible study who are Purdue graduates, and I said, and that creates a potential problem for me. And, and I think there's a real wisdom. Is it permissible for me to go have a beer? Yes. Is it permissible for me to go sit in a bar? Yes. Does it cause someone else to stumble? Perhaps. And I think there's a wisdom issue there that says it may be permissible, but maybe it's not beneficial for the body or, or for me. And that, uh, and that was just a month ago that we, that we dealt with that. Purdue, Purdue actually won a game yesterday, didn't they? <laughs> Mir- <laughs> Miracles happen. <laughs> We've given up on it, Bob. We don't even know. <laughs> Minnesota must be really No, that's a really good example. Good example. There are places you could go. There are things you can do. And sometimes it may be all right. Right. And other times it's not. It just kind of depends on circumstances and where God leads you in certain things. The, the drinking issue is a, is a very common one. Yeah. It's permissible. But the Bible warns us about it. You know, wine's a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler. So means you better be pretty careful about that. And if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, then don't do it. Yeah. I think with our freedom as Christians, sometimes we want to get as close to the line as possible. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, yeah, the, you want to put off the appearance of any wrongdoing, but that's where I find myself. It's like, well, how close am I inching towards the line of, you know, you, abusing my freedom? And that maybe letting me stumble and somebody else stumble by watching me. You know, God provides what you know we call the means of grace to help us navigate our way through life in these things. And there are several of them. Holy Spirit's one, that internal conscience you might call it much more than that but the Holy Spirit we get into that where he is within us kind of convicting us complimenting us whatever are we doing well not doing well Uh, scripture that's the handbook on conduct you know particularly not exclusively but particularly the the epistles a lot about conduct within the church, conduct in daily life, uh, prayer, and the body of Christ. Being in uh, an intimate enough fellowship with other Christians where you can help one another and be accountable to one another. But it, it requires a level of humility and honesty to do that. I don't think I've told you all this story, but it is a graphic one that I experienced as a new Christian. I had, I had never been in a small group other than some small groups in the church that Marianne and I were attending before I was a Christian. And she would drag me to these things. And I mean, I had both feet dug in the 
dirt trying to keep from going. I could not stand it. I didn't like it. And I particularly didn't like it when people prayed. And I really didn't like it if they prayed around in a circle and at some point I was going to have to pray. I wasn't a Christian. It was, it was, I was extremely uncomfortable there. Gee, I wonder why. You know, it was God inevitably drawing me to his son Jesus. But after I got saved, I joined a small group. And there were about nine or ten of us in the group. And we were all pretty much new Christians. We were new to this idea of being in an accountability group. So every week we would do some, we met once a week on Friday mornings. We would do a scripture study. And then we'd go around the circle. We know that we're supposed to be holding one another to piety, to leading a Christian life, holiness, sanctification, okay? And week after week, hey, things are going great. Things great. And every once in a while, some guy, it was a men's group, some guy would bring up some relatively small issue. But after I'd been in that group for about two years, uh, one of the guys in the group, whose mother lived right across the street from Carol Wells, and I mean for Two years now, this guy's telling me everything's great. Went to his mother's living room about a week before Christmas and blew his brains out. Every week he's telling me, hey, things are going great. My business is great. My, my ex-wife and I are getting along great. I really like her new husband. And boy, my kids really like him. I'm thinking, really? Really? And about six months after that, a postman who was in the group, same story, everything's great, my life's fine. His wife left for work one morning, and he went out in the garage, rolled down the windows of the car, and turned the car on. She came home at five o'clock, and there he was, dead in the garage. It made me one tough guy to group with. You know, the guys in my group, you can't play around with this stuff, folks. You gotta be honest about it. You know, if you were struggling with sin, they were struggling with something. But they, they weren't honest enough to come to us and say, hey, I'm really depressed. I mean, I think they must have thought that wouldn't be a manly thing to do. Or I'm really something. I'm really having a lot of trouble in my life. I'll give Mark credit for confessing that he was having trouble managing his money. We were able to help that guy. We maybe could have helped those two guys, but we couldn't help them if they didn't tell us what the problem was. You know, are you willing to do that? The Bible says confess your sins one to another. It's amazing the strength that comes out of the body of Christ in these kind of issues. So I only tell you my morbid stories when I think they may help you with yours. Uh, but that was one that really, really, those two issues really, I love those two guys. Uh, and maybe we could have helped them. We'd have had a chance, but we didn't if they wouldn't tell us the truth. So, Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that convicts us and leads us, into, leads us out of sin and into holiness. We thank you for the strength of the body of Christ that can be such a wonderful thing for us to to lean on in all times, in good times and in bad. And I pray for your blessing over 
every person in here uh, and over their families, Lord, over this next week. Uh, bad things happen to us. Uh, difficulties come in our lives. Temptations coming into our lives. And I pray that you would give us the strength to resist, that we, our desire to live holy lives and to honor Jesus Christ would be stronger than our temptation to enter into any kind of sinful practice. We know that you're faithful, Lord, and please grant that we would be faithful back to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, um, where are we in? Question five? Is that where I stop? Question five will start next week? Yes. Good. Only a couple questions left, so we'll get into chapter seven next week also, okay? Really appreciate your participation.